What is up, everyone? Welcome back to Stacking Slabs. This is your hobby content alternative. I'm your host, Brett McGrath. It's a new year, and we have new collector conversations coming at you. I got my man Joshua at Midwest Vintage Cards. We're talking about 90s auctions, a place that he has helped build to bring 90s auctions to life. I talk a lot about segmentation and the importance of shrinking the hobby. See, and Joshua and team are doing this around a segment of the hobby that is near and dear to many of our hearts. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation. If you like what I'm doing over here, follow, subscribe, hit all the buttons. Most importantly, tell a damn friend you are enjoying the Stacking Slabs podcast. Without further ado, let's kick it to the conversation. What is up, everyone? Excited for this conversation. I have talked a lot about segmentation in the hobby and how we should do whatever we can to shrink the hobby, see, align people, align cards, align collectors around the types of cards that they all love. I feel like the more I have focused in and uh, networked with different collectors uh, around stuff that I like, the better experience I have. And today's guest is uh, started putting something together that I caught my attention, um, I think is pretty cool. So we're going to talk about um, what he's building uh, with 90s auctions, along with just his general overall collecting history, all that fun stuff. But today I'm joined by Josh Adams. You might know him on Instagram at Midwest Vintage Cards. Josh, happy, hey, Brett, new, year. happy new year. Happy How new are you year. doing? Really happy to be on one of the original podcasts I listen to. So it's it's great to be a longtime listener, first time, uh first time caller, as they say. I love it. Um, we're gonna get into the uh your collecting and just what 90s auctions, but maybe before we do that, it's crazy we have another year under our belts. And I think in just like if there was a big uh story of the hobby, people would go back and look at last year and most of the probably top line headlines would be about market going down and sky is falling, where I have found that most collectors are probably more energized and excited than ever because they were allowed to get the cards that they maybe didn't think that they would get be able to afford a month or two year ago. And there just seems to be a lot of momentum from the collector side. I'd love for you to maybe share some perspective, like what did you see last year? Like what maybe are you anticipating going into this year, just as a general overview? Uh, as a general collector, I think it's been great the past year because a lot of stuff came down that I thought was maybe either artificially high, if it was high for other reasons. Now it's back down to stuff that I've always wanted that I'm able to buy. Um, example is I found like three or four pretty huge Frank Thomas cards that I've been looking for for a while and was able to find them like last week. So I ran over to my buddy's house and able to pick them up and you know wouldn't be able to find I haven't find those for over 15 years and just so many things have come out I think in the past year or two the people selling uh either whether they want to take profits or whether they think the market's going down so they need money but for collectors it's great I couldn't be happier looking forward to this year too uh, let's talk a little bit about Frank Thomas, the big herd. I feel like you say that name, that name probably hasn't come up in, on this podcast, maybe a time or two, but you that that was Frank Thomas was just said by you. And then people on the other side listening just got very nostalgic. People were like, oh, the big herd. I remember watching him play. I remember his rookie card. Talk a little bit about like why you collect Frank Thomas and just maybe what he means to you. My favorite player as a kid growing up, you know, in the 90s, growing up in Chicago as a teenager, I'd go to Sox games every year and 
for reasons I don't understand, I'm still a Sox fan. Uh, so, but he was just my favorite player as a kid. Just, you know, they said the big hurt hit massive home runs was a great hitter. And, uh, there's some really great cards out of the nineties, uh, inserts parallels that, uh, he's in that I just have been chasing my whole, whole collecting career, starting with the 90 leaf rookie is one of my favorite cards of all time. I have, I think a problem cause I have like 40 of them. Every time I find one, if it's raw, I'll just pick it up. If it's graded, I'll pick it up. The grades doesn't really care. I just, I just want them. I got like a, a huge stack of them in my, in my room. And uh, yeah, I just uh, can't get enough of that card. Um, Maybe share, share, share a little bit about some of the, those cards that, you just picked up from your buddy that were like maybe some of your Frank Thomas grails, like what were the cards and why were they on your list? So there's one, it's called destination, destination Cooperstown. Uh, yeah. Destination Cooperstown. It's like a bag tag, like a luggage tag. And it's got a little string on the top. Uh, they're impossible to find with a string. Usually you find a card with like a little slit on the top and the strings missing. I was able to find one of those, which thrilled to, I have a Jeter also. That one's going in. That'll be in the, we'll talk about that later. Um, found a uh, Pops Chrome early road to the hall that there's a refractor mm. version out of a hundred and then there's a mm. base version and the refractor version is pretty hard to find. So grab one of those. Then there's um, the Flair Traditions Date with Destiny. So it looks like a Hall of Flame, Fame plaque and it's a refractor type coating on the front and it's got, it's out of a hundred and the label is uh, the stamps on the front of that card. So those were, those are ones I've always looked for. I'm really happy to find those. Those are Going in the forever collection, I'll never, never see the light of day again. So you have, uh, just scrolling through your Instagram page, you, it's full of different types of cards across multiple eras, a lot of different sports, uh, all like players that I'm like, I feel like it, they reson- it resonates with me as just being uh, someone who's born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s. Um, maybe talk a little bit about just like, how you decide what what your what you collect? Obviously, we covered the Frank Thomas of it all, but talk a little bit about the other stuff. So I like a bunch of different areas of collecting. I really enjoy pre pre war, so like nineteen forty eight and earlier. So vintage nineteenth uh, century cards, I think, are great. I love the photography, the black and white images, the, the old uniforms. I think are great. So I, if I ever find like a Hall of Famer something like that, I'll I'll pick it up. Uh, my favorite set of all time is the nineteen forty eight Leaf set. And it was a, it's a set made to sell gum cards after the war, and they were made in Chicago. And there are two printings of that set. The first run has Babe Ruth, DiMaggio, got the Jackie Robinson rookie and that yellow background card. And then there's a second run. They're called the short print set. It's got uh, Satchel Page. It's, it's his rookie. It's considered by many as the uh, rarest post-war baseball card out there. Mr. Mint, who knows who Al Rosen is, though he passed a couple of years ago, but the famous collector and, and dealer. He found a, a case of these cards in uh, in Michigan in the 80s, cracked it open. He found about 30 or 40 Ruths, and uh, he found, I think, three pages. Tells you how rare the page is. And the Ruth card is interesting because it's the first card in the set. It's a tribute card because he died earlier that year. So it's the first card that was made after he passed away. So it's that's a shock full of history. The, the color is amazing, but the registration, the quality control was terrible. They just did it to move gum and they skip numbered that set. So it wasn't one, two, three, four, five. It was like one, three, five, seven. So you're buying tons of packs of gum, these kids, and they weren't getting like, where's card two? Well, card two's not coming out till, you know, January of 49. So, and they didn't know that. So that, you know, kind of like, oh, some things never change with card companies. I feel like I just learned something new. Um, maybe not an area that I collected, but 
these stories that come from the past that uh, with the satchel page cards that you just just described, is that it would, would that story of that card being the rarest one be based on the finding of that case? And then there being, you know, whatever you said, three satchel page cards and a whole bunch of Ruth, or is it a bunch of other things that amount to like that being definitive of like that being the card is rare as it, it is. I think there's some, there's some other parts that contribute to that. Some of it is that it's, it's from the short print set and it's the first card in the short print set. So it's or one of the first cards in the short print set. So it is rare by itself. Uh, some other cards in that set are like Hal Newhauser's in that second run, then a bunch of nobodies like Dom DiMaggio's in there. Um, but they're extremely hard. But in terms of if you look at like pop reports to guide how how many cards have been graded, I don't know what the pop report is on the page, but it, it is somewhat low. And it a lot of them have been popping up lately, actually. You know, before you'd find one every maybe once a year in an auction. Now I I forgot who has them, but I saw either Heritage or somebody's got like three in their current auction, which blows my mind because those never popped up. And I think that kind of goes in part to what we we're talking about earlier. The, um, you know, current cards are coming available. The, you know, the price has gone up so much that these people have not a lot into it. And they're like, oh, I might as well sell it and take, take some money. And I think that's going to happen a lot this coming year. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think just keeping your head on a swivel. Um, making sure you're checking all the various selling platforms. There are cards that were available this year that I didn't anticipate. And I think it's people trying to uh, maybe concern that cards are going to go down more, or maybe it's just time to move on. I don't know what was the case, but I was able to acquire some cards that I wasn't expecting over this past year. You mentioned the Thomases. Is that last year? Did, Did you get that vibe? Did you get the feeling that more rare and scarce cards were coming to market and more available than ever or was that just a me thing no I, oh, I saw that a lot either in auctions and also in private sales there were cards that weren't traded as often all of a sudden they're popping up once twice three times a month and you're like well grab them now because you're not going to see them for a long time and i was able to grab a couple and then of course you know whenever there's never money available when the card comes that you really want right <laughs> so right. i was like ah never had it so but uh, hopefully there'll be others, but you never, you never know. Right. Cause there's sometimes they, just, they never show up again. No. And I feel like maybe like going into like the nineties stuff, uh, man, I'm not sure that in just studying, examining um, the behavior of collectors, that there's a more passionate group of people and people are going to throw tomatoes at me right now that don't collect nineties stuff, right. but it just seems like the nineties collectors, they're hardcore, right? It's like you, they get, infatuated on these sets and then you know people that weren't even were bench guys are commanding high end high end because people are trying to build out these sets whether it's you know rubies whether it's pmgs you could the list goes on so i just i don't know if it's the time thing like there's just been there are collectors who have money who collected these cards growing up and appreciate these cards and now have money to go buy it. And there's a bunch of people doing this, but it just seems like the, this community around nineties cards is very strong. They have money. They're very passionate. Um, and it's not what's different that I've observed. It's not, people don't want to like go buy the nineties card to go like flip the nineties card, like what's happening on ultra modern. It's like, I want to buy these cards because they are meant for my collection. And that I think is cool. So I don't know, like, you're building something directed towards nineties collectors. And we're going to talk about that, but talk a little bit about just like 
90s cards, what they mean for you, some some of your favorite sets, products, just your general observations. Nostalgia for me is very powerful. And I think you know, a lot of people collect these that are, you know, I was born in 78. So I was 20 in 1998, still in college, but you know, between 97 and 98 were some of the greatest sets ever made. You know, you got PMGs, essential credentials. For me, for basketball cards, Diamond Dimensions are my favorite uh, upper deck, my favorite uh, parallel set of all time. SP authentic uh, profiles, three out of a hundred is one of my other ones. It's like a refractor, but hand numbered. The hand numbered stuff I love. Um, but I remember, you know, I remember specifically going to shows, buying packs, buying boxes, trying to find that stuff, sit in the hallway with my friends, you know, trading and all that stuff and looking for the cars that really you can never find because they were so rare and hard to find. Some of them were case hits. And then you now they're available through, you know, there was an eBay in 1992 or 93. Or even 98, I think it was just starting. And uh, now they're available either through auctions, through private sales or social media. It makes everything more prolific and available. Uh, another example would be 93 Tops Finest Refractors uh, from baseball. Uh, those were, you know, the, the general consensus is there's 229 of each player. I remember I remember 15 years old, my dad driving me to card shows. I'd, I'd go around looking for 93 Finest, buy as many packs as I could and never got a refractor. <laughs> of course, when you're 15, you're like, I have no idea what a refractor even looks like. Like, this looks shiny enough. I don't know. And it's, uh, but to me, it means just like back to childhood and back to what got me into collecting really full, like not full time, but you know, all my friends and I we would go every weekend, go to, go to shows. We'd play after school, play basketball after school and trade cards then. And just means a lot about youth and childhood and, and nostalgia. It's, like I said, it's extremely powerful. How would you sum up? I hate being general, but like, I'm just curious because I'm sure you're thinking about this as you're, you know, building your business is like, how would you sum up the current day 90s collector? I know people see them on Instagram and people are, you know, drool at posts of high end 90 stuff, but just like that individual, like, how would you sum them up? That's a good question. I think passionate would be a really good word, but I think a lot of collectors are passionate, but 90s people have a really just strong passion for these cars. Cause I think it does go back. I don't want to repeat myself, but it goes back to nostalgia and the stuff that they were looking for as kids. And they can finally own those things that they always wanted. And I think that something very important and very special to people, it brings them back to being a kid. And some of them like me have, have children now and you can explain to your kids like, Hey, this is the card I wanted when I was your age. Or, this is the card I chased, you know, and now I have one and pass it down to you and kind of keep that collecting gene going through each generation and it's uh but you can tell they're very uh passionate about not just the dollar amount of the card but just what the card itself means and the importance of the card to them i love it maybe let's before we we're about to jump into 90s auctions because i want to hear all about it but uh i learned something before we hit record of just kind of some of the uh, work you were doing ahead of bringing 90s auctions to life maybe talk share a little bit about just like you know, what you're doing with uh, some of the other auctions before this, and maybe that'll help set the stage for why you started to do 90s auctions. So a couple of guys and I, uh, well, they they started this auction company. It was focusing on vintage football. So really anything pre-1900 up through 70s, 80s, and then they got into some current stuff. But I helped, I helped write, like do all the legal paperwork. I'm a lawyer by trade. So I helped get everything created, file the documentation, get their auctioning licenses in order, and then uh, helped write 
some of the some of the uh, copy for the for the descriptions for each item piece. Uh, we did a catalog, so I helped get the catalog together, which was a tremendous amount of work. And uh, like you know, closing night, I'd go to my my friend's office and we'd sit there, take phone calls from people, and one guy would only call in and and put a phone bid in, and it was, it was interesting. Like, hey, how much now? I'm like, you know, up your bid one more time. Okay, how about okay, now? You're the high bid. Then we had to call him if he got outbid, and you know, it was when it got into extended bidding, it got interesting. But it was a really fun time. We did that from 2017 or 2016 through November 2019, and they stopped right then. And I, like I said, I begged them to keep it open. I said I would do all the work, and uh, please do not stop doing this. And then they stopped, and then March 2020 hit, and everyone knows what happened. So missed the boat there. No doubt about it. Maybe just auctions in general. I know that, man, it seems like there's this mentality, and this is like my personal my personal use cases. I'm always putting cards up for auction, and they're always up for auction because they're i'm I'm trying to pay for a card that I just bought. And so uh, the auction helps me do that as efficiently. i it's one of those things where it's like, if I put a buy it now price on it, then there's this uncertainty of like, how long is this going to take? And it just gets down this road where it's like, I'm always, I'm already on to the next thing. So I'm just going to put cards together to recoup my cost for the card I just bought. And the auction format is the way to do it for me. So I don't know, like, do you think this, it, but, but there's so few options, right? We've got, you know, eBay is the main one where every person in the hobby has the eBay app. They have their saved listings and there's a bunch of other auction houses, but it, it seems limited at, at a little bit on just like where we go. Like for me, I send it to a consigner who puts it on eBay and then get my money and pay for my, it's just this continual process. Maybe like share some perspective. I'm sure just as you, someone who worked, you know, on the legal side of an auction house, now someone put it, putting one on yourself, like what do you think makes the auction style format so attractive um, to the collecting community? And also at the same time, maybe as you're trying to navigate this, it's something that's very challenging to kind of bring to life. Just maybe share some perspective on that. That's a good question. So when we were making this 90s auction, also with the old football auction, we thought about like what stuff as customers that we liked and what stuff we didn't like. Uh, as as buyers and customers of an auction, what we could improve on to make the uh, experience better for the bidder. Um, but I think what to answer the first part of your question, what's attractive to the auction format is I think you get, as opposed to buy it now, it's in the open market and people want it. And you can see the competition for that card, especially if it's something that's you know, either highly desirable or, or, or rare or sought after. But I think um, the other part is, you know, we wanted to make it customer friendly. Uh, I know there's a lot of stuff that people like from auction houses and stuff they don't like. So we tried to hone it down and make, make it user-friendly, uh, customer-friendly. And our tagline is by collectors for collectors, you know, John and I, my partner, John and I have been collecting for a very long time and we want to make it as user-friendly as possible for everybody. So I mentioned to you, um, I think I saw uh, MK sports card story and he had like a recap post or, on like congratulating you all on nineties auctions and how it was fun. And I don't know, I think he might've gotten a card or two or whatever. And I was like, what in the hell is this? <laughs> and so then I clicked in 
and it, the auction was over, but just like saw the inventory and it was, you know, all major sports, all nineties. And I was like, this is really cool because this is the stuff that I'd probably be searching through pages and pages and pages of other auction sites to find. So that was my first exposure, but I'd love to maybe hear the story of like, why nineties auctions? Like, why did you decide to to bring it to life? And maybe what are you looking to accomplish? So, like I said, my buddy, John, it's uh, Chicago sports cards, gems on Instagram, him and I, uh, we met actually through eBay. Uh, he had a card. I wanted a Jordan hot numbers and uh, we were texting back and forth or on eBay. And I saw that he lived near me. So I'm like, well, I'll buy it, but let's just meet up. I'll save you the shipping. And we just got to talking and there's like a quarterly show in Chicago. And we met up there a bunch of times and we have similar tastes in cards, you know, 90s of Jordan, Kobe, Shaq. Uh, and we sat down and thought one day, you know, we should, we should do a business like this. And uh, so, yeah. And cause there are some other uh, auctions that focus on small niches. Like there's a, a guy that does only Negro league cards. You know, it's like very, very segmented from like late 19th century through like 1930. There's a guy that does only Cuban baseball cards. And I, I said, why not do something for the nineties? Because there's, I think a bigger, wider audience. And I think a lot of people on Instagram are um, really into that. And I think you could cast a very wide net on social media platforms in terms of advertising. Although it wasn't that wide because I missed you. So I'm sorry, <laughs> but um, it's uh, I thought it'd be a niche that would attract a lot of people because in a lot of these auctions, and uh, again, nothing against the big guys, and we're not trying to compete with the big guys, but mm. big guys, there's like, you know, 10 or 12 pages of stuff, and stuff falls through the cracks, and I've been able to get some deals on stuff, and because when you got 2,000 items, and stuff's going to fall, right? So our goal was to make a smaller collector-oriented auction of between 50 and 100 lots per auction, so it's manageable, but it's only that one section of of card collecting from 1990, 1999, and easy to find it, right? So if we want to be the place to go where if it's from the 90s and it's rare, we're going to have it. That's what our ultimate goal is going to be. Maybe just doing this rodeo one time around, what was something maybe that you expected and maybe something that you didn't expect that maybe took shape? Uh, I'm sure you treated this maybe a little bit as a pilot, like we're going to let this thing happen. We're going to learn from it. Uh, Talk a little bit about maybe what you learned from the first rodeo. I learned from the first rodeo this time around to uh, how important advertising is, how important it is to get just as many eyeballs. Like word of mouth is good, but it's better to just, you know, pay for advertising on larger platforms to, like I said, cast a wider net. There's a reason everyone uses eBay. Everyone knows who they are. Mm-hmm. So that's something I thought uh, the the cards themselves would, you know, speak for themselves and people would find it in word of mouth and pass on but you need to get those eyeballs. That's the most important thing. I think anyone who runs an auction will tell you, you need to have bidders, registered bidders and people talking about it that will sign up and bid. What? How big of a role do you think? I'm imagining there's this uh, individual has a card and it's like you as a business, it's a 90s grail that would be perfect for your platform. But then the questions are like, you know, why, why do I go to these guys as opposed to going to one of these places? And yeah, it's, you're in, I'm a startup guy, you're in startup mode here and you're going to have to prove the value. But I would imagine like part of you being, having a brand and a reputation and being someone on Instagram, who's in the community, who collectors know through deal making or through just communication that probably helps is, you know, people think, oh, I've got this nineties card. Maybe I'll wait and see what Josh and team are doing with their next auction. Like, how do you navigate 
that as being kind of like a in startup mode? So that's a good question because a lot of, you know, right. A lot of people, if they have a big, big card, they want to go to the people who are the biggest because they, again, get the most eyeballs. And I think, I think we're still a little bit away from getting like the big, big hitters. I think the goal is to navigate that. I think it's to do a good job on the first few auctions and just kind of build your reputation as an auction company because it's, it's understandable, right? Someone going to give something to a startup. They don't want to lose money on a card when they can give it to someone else. And they know it's going to get around what the fair value is. Uh, in our first one, some cards went for, for all-time highs, and I was happy about that. Some cards went for below what they usually go for. So, But that is was to be expected, and I expected that. And I think as long as you're upfront with your consigners and let them know, I think that's okay. I think the honesty and integrity are the most important things. Just be straight, straight shooters. But, yeah, I think the best way to get those big, rare grails is to do a really good job with the smaller things and then just build upon that. And Fast, you know, fast shipment to your buyers, fast payment to your consigners. And I think we'll build a reputation. And yeah, the reputation is the most important thing because who's going to send a card to some guy like, oh, you just start up. I'm never going to see it again. Right. I mean, got to have that trust. And I think that's how you build the trust. I love it. The um, I, I would love to know just on that first auction, maybe a couple of your favorite cards that sold. Maybe it could be all time high. It could not be. But just maybe just to give the listeners some idea on the types of cards that you you brought in for that so uh one of our uh, top cards that we had was a shaquille o'neal essential credential out of uh out of 74 and that's one of my favorites that's that pink kind of background acetate card uh it was a bgs8 uh we were happy with how it uh, how it finished one of my favorite ones was an emmett smith star rubies which those star rubies are, are great they have them in baseball basketball you know football there's a peyton manning in 98 that's just a killer and uh, the Smith, we actually walked up to our table at the National. We were able to get it as a consignment at the National. So I was very happy about that. Uh, that did really well. I was really happy about that card. Some of them I wish I could keep it myself. That's the only problem, too. Right? Like, the last <laughs> yeah. time I love, I'm like, I kind of want this. But, like, and so that's the hardest part. You get to hold it for a little bit, then pass it on to the next guy. Totally. No, I saw that Shaq card. And I was like, man. It had been a while since I had seen a visual of that. So uh, that I don't know. Like, uh, with... I didn't realize it was you until after I like ran through the auction and see everything else. And I was like, Oh, I we've chatted before. That's yeah. awesome. But my, I immediately gravitated towards it based on just like what type of inventory you were able to bring in out of the gate. So I think that's awesome. And they, I'd love to maybe talk about just this idea that of like segmenting the hobby and just, I don't know. It seems like there are so many different ways to do the hobby. So many different flavors of the hobby content cards types but like i mentioned it's like the more we can shrink it down to these different segments and service those segments i feel like it creates better experience and uh more stickiness and so i I don't know like what do you think building like these types of niche marketplaces can do for the community of collectors i know you've talked a little bit about goals but just I, i guess just generally like the like your customers like the people who are coming in what do you think like this will do just long-term if there are more places like 90s auctions? I think if there's more places that are segmented, I think it's great and helps people enjoy the hobby as they like it. And you don't have to like, like you said, sift through so many different auctions, sift through so many different pages. Like I said, there's so many different ways to enjoy this hobby, the wrestling, football, basketball, Pokemon. There's a million ways to do it. You know, 1980s Cardinals play. So it's so unique that this is such a great hobby of ours that there's so many different ways to enjoy it. 
and having these niche way niche auctions I think is a way to help those people kind of focus on what they like and helps I think it creates more of a even more of a demand for it then too like if this is a one place to go the stuff that I know I'll find something that I like as opposed to just weeding through tens and tens of pages of uh, hundreds of pages of auctions of stuff I don't really want I think it just will help yeah, I'm just excited for more places uh, that are popping up, like '90s auctions, where I don't have to see the same cards every month over and over again. Which is, oh yeah, which is which is nice, right? I mean, that's the thing. I use, it's like oh, front page, it's another you know another LeBron card. That's, that's awesome. <laughs> I, I, that's great. I haven't seen one of those in a week. And I mean, they're great cards. Don't get me wrong, but like I like to see something new, something you know rare that doesn't pop up that often. I think a lot of collectors. That's part of collecting, right? Is the hunt? Is the hunt for that needle in a haystack that you haven't seen in 10 years and you've heard about it. Like, Oh, here it is. I finally found one. Yeah. The, just speak the, not only are those, those sales that are happening all the time, but then it's just Instagram and other platforms get polluted with conversations about the same cards and the price is going down over and over and over again. And it's just like, but for me last year, like the one auction that I'll never forget. And I talked about it on the show was just the, uh, the, the green PMG Jerry rice sale, because it was like a unicorn. It was like, this card sold, look at who it sold. And then the buyer of the card posted it along with his TO and Steve Young the next day. And it's like, man, why can't we do more like this? Like, this is fun. Right. I think you're right. And to kind of build on that, these niche auctions are going to create more of a conversation about those rare unicorn cards, create more conversation about what they mean, kind of, you know, more knowledge about cards is always better. And I think that's why social media can be really good for that sharing knowledge about cards, production, condition, all those things help when you've got these auctions kind of promoting that one specific area of, of those cards. Uh, oddly enough, you know, there was a, there was a uh, passing the torch, Barry Sanders, Walter Payton that sold like a week earlier and got no on eBay for like 25 grand. It was like, like it was a, it was a nine, five, 10 auto. And that card out of a hundred card never shows up. Never. And it's gotten like, no one talked about that. And to me, that's one of my favorite 90s football inserts, uh, parallels that passing the torch is just such a cool set because it's got, you know, the old and the new players. And it's just, you can't, those never show up, but they've started to seep through on eBay the past like six months. Yeah, no, I don't own any, but there are certainly some cards on my list that I wouldn't mind grabbing. And what's cool about those cards too, it's like, I don't know, you see, autos from some of the players uh that were playing before i was even born that you hadn't seen before alongside you know contemporaries that you know we were fans of and uh that's a hell of a set and i totally forgot about that but you're right it just happened and no one talked about it but i mean could you list the two better running backs on one card with uh, autographs no uh, it's amazing oh <laughs> yeah it's the coolest card ever i'd love to have one. i don't have one but I, if i could get one i would if I had 25 G's just sitting around, that'd be mine. I'd say, right. Oh, yeah. If we, it'd be danger zone if we all had 25 G's just right. sitting around. <laughs> um, they, talk about like what's next, like plans for the next auction, like what's coming down the pike for you guys. So, the next auction we're going to have in March, I think every three months would be a good way to, to space them out, helps us get more consignments, and then create a good product for the consumer, for the collector. The next auction, we're going to do a catalog. It's going to be a, a PDF catalog that's embedded on the site. You can download it and save it, and it'll have just like the auction write-up, have each lot by number. So if you want to reference it, you don't always have to go online to the to the site. You can look at the look at the uh, catalog on your iPad or on your, on your phone. 
and then bid at, when, when you want to. I think catalogs are great. I think they're a great resource for knowledge. I save as many as I can because the write-ups have really good information about the, about the product and it's good for knowledge later on. And after I get like a stack of like 15 or 20, I got chuck them. But usually I, I rip out a couple of pages that of, of cars that are unique that I, that I know that I want to remember and have more knowledge on. So that's what I think would be helpful for the collector. I love it. Maybe if anyone listening has cards that fit within what 90s auctions would be putting up, like what's the process to get those cards involved in that next auction? Um, you could send me a message on Instagram. Our Instagram handle for the auctions is at 90s auctions or Midwest Vintage Cards is fine. And then the website, 90sauctions.com, you can call me on the phone or email me, josh at 90s auctions. All that's on the website and on the Instagram page. Happy to talk to you anytime. And we have a uh, yeah, consignment agreement and uh, happy to get your cards in the, in our auction. We'd be very grateful. I know uh, there's been a lot of conversation on the crossover about Dennis in the hobby, but now maybe lawyers are taking over the hobby. Do you have any comment as being a lawyer and um, a hobbyist running a business? If we could reach dentist level uh, stature in the hobby, that would be an honor to be neck and neck with the dentist. But I think we're us lawyers are falling a little bit behind. But hopefully Hoge will uh, help us close the gap. And then uh, one, one day we're gonna, we got them on our sites. We're taking them over. Josh, this is a ton of fun. Uh, appreciate it. you having a conversation about what you're up to. Everyone go check them out at Midwest Vintage Cards at 90s Auctions. Would love to maybe chat with you uh, when that auction uh, comes to life. Learn a little bit more about what kind of cards you have on there and give some uh, further exposure to niche marketplaces. Because I think what you're doing is awesome, man. Thank you very much for having me on. Happy New Year and uh, great to talk with you, Brett. Had such a blast talking with Joshua about what he is up to. I love his passion, love his collecting mentality. And got to say, I'm going to be searching 90s auctions next time one pops up. Fired up about it. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We'll be back. More Stacking Slabs on the other side of this. Peace out. Peace out.